you have your Bibles, would you turn with me to Ecclesiastes chapter 3. Ecclesiastes chapter 3. If you weren't here with us last week and you're not familiar with Ecclesiastes, it's right in the middle of your Bible. It's part of the wisdom literature, so you'll find Psalms, Proverbs, and then Ecclesiastes. And what we saw last week is that Ecclesiastes it really needs to be paired with Proverbs. That you need both of these books to understand the fullness of wisdom. And so this morning we're going to finish our time in Ecclesiastes by looking at its most famous passage. Ecclesiastes chapter 3. We're going to read the first 15 verses together. It says, For everything there is a season, and a time for every matter under heaven, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to pluck up what is planted, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to break down and a time to build up, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance. A time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones together. A time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. A time to seek and a time to lose. A time to keep and a time to cast away. A time to tear and a time to sow. A time to keep silence and a time to speak. A time to love and a time to hate. A time for war and a time for peace. What gain has the worker from his toil? I have seen the business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. He has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put eternity into man's heart, yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. I perceive that there is nothing better for them than to be joyful and to do good as long as they live. Also, that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all his toil. That, this is God's gift to man. I perceive that whatever God does endures forever. Nothing can be added to it, nor anything taken from it. God has done it so that people fear before him. That which is already has been. That which is to be already has been. And God seeks what has been driven away. Let's pray to the Lord together. Heavenly Father, I believe there is no book more relevant for our age, than the book of Ecclesiastes. And so, Father, all kinds of thoughts are bumping around in my head, and all kinds of emotions are bumping around in my heart, and all kinds of, of, of chaos and confusion is bumping around the minds and hearts of the congregation that are here. And so, Father, I pray that right now you would settle us with the Holy Spirit, that you would focus our minds, that you would prepare our hearts, that you would open up our ears, that, Lord, we would receive exactly what you have for us this day in the gospel. I pray, Father, that the hope that we would have is not in the presentation of the preacher or the ability of the preacher, but in the reality that the Son has been raised and the Spirit has been sent and the Word of God is sufficient to accomplish all that it is intended to accomplish. And so, Lord, let us hear from your Word through your Spirit to the glory of your Son. We ask these things now in his name. Amen. You may be seated. You know, only human beings will spend hard-earned money to be intentionally scared to death. You ever thought about that? That we'll spend hundreds of dollars to go to theme parks so that we can scream our faces off. We'll pay good money to go and dive out of airplanes that are perfectly good with landing, right? Only human beings do that. 
uh, last summer, or, or last October, we were able to, to sneak off to Disney Mile. We have some family that lives down in St. Petersburg, Tampa, and we were visiting with them. And so we were able to, to sneak off one day with the kids to Disney. And we had been several years prior. And back then, Gracie was really too little to be able to ride everything. But this year, she was able to ride Space Mountain like she hit the specs, right? And so she was so excited. And that's the first thing that we did as soon as we got there was to make our way over to Space Mountain. And so we're in there, and we're in the line, and you know how Space Mountain is, if you've ever been there, it's in this big building, and you're kind of weaving through, and they've got all the old, you know, now it's like vintage Star Wars looking stuff that's in there, and you can hear the people coming by on the train, and they're, and they're screaming. Well, I noticed that the longer we were in that line, and the more of those people we heard coming by screaming, and the more we saw all the things that are going on in the room, and you'd catch glimpses of what the train looked like when it was coming out, I noticed that Gracie started talking more and more and more and more. Apparently, she gets kind of chatty when she's nervous, right? I think she gets it from her mom. But she, she just started talking, I mean, just incessantly, like, okay, and asking me all the questions and doing all the things. And I could tell that she wanted to ride it so bad, but she was so, so nervous. And it comes to our time to go and to get into the little cart, you know, and to put the, pull the bars down. And I could tell that everything inside of her was telling her, run, Gracie, get out of here. This is crazy. What are you doing? And yet, yet, because she was there and she was not going to let her dad down, she sat down and she pulled down the bars, right? So we start riding the ride, and I'm, I'm hamming it up, because I mean, this is, this is my girl's first time on a real roller coaster, like, I got to show her how to do this thing, right? So man, I've got hands raised, and I'm screaming my head off, and doing the whole thing, and I'm saying, raise your hands, and she's, she's just frozen as a fossil the whole time. I mean, she's just locked in, right? And so we're going in all the curves and doing all the things and going down all the hills. And, and the whole time she's locked in and I'm screaming. And you can see the picture at the end. And, you know, my hands are raising. Gracie's like this the whole way. When we get to the end and it lands. And you're coming in. You know, it's real slow. And you're coming in. And all of a sudden she just exploded. Dad, that was awesome. That was great. Dad, we got to do that again. We got to do that again. Isn't that funny? that she really wasn't able to enjoy it until it was over. She, she really didn't appreciate what the ride was like until she came to the end and realized, I'm not going to die here. And that's something that humans are able to do. And that is why I think we pay to be afraid when no other creature on earth would be afraid intentionally. And we go and we seek it. Why? Because God has given us the ability to see the big picture. Unlike any other creature in all of creation, us being made in the image of God have the ability to understand that the ending is what determines the experience right now. That the ending and where we end up in the big picture sets the perspective on our experience today. And so I can get on the roller coaster and I can dive out of the airplane because I have confidence in what the ending is going to look like. I can actually enjoy being afraid and the exhilaration that comes with it because I know that there's a point to it. I know that there's a purpose to it. Strap a Labrador retriever into a roller coaster and see how that goes. And you can do it five times, ten times, and it's never going to go well because it has no concept of what's going on or what the big picture is, but, but we know. That's one of the gifts that the Lord gives us through all of our suffering. 
But it's much easier when you're riding a roller coaster than it is when you receive a positive diagnosis for cancer, isn't it? It's much easier than when uh, you, 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 all of a sudden you funds run out and the payments keep stacking up and you end up having to declare bankruptcy. Yes, we're able to zone out and we're, we're able to zoom out and see that there is a big picture. And we know that perhaps even those of us with faith in Christ, that the ending is different. But in the middle, it'll, in the middle of it, it can feel very meaningless, very purposeless, right? So to put it in the language of Ecclesiastes, looking back, then what we can say is, is that for so many of us, yes, we're able to see the big picture. Yes, we're able to see the understand it. But, but for a roller coaster, it's much clearer the purpose of it. For a roller coaster, the meaning of it is much, much clearer. But cancer and suffering and losing your job and the rebellion of your kids and the difficulties of your marriage, those feel like vanity of vanities, don't they? They feel very meaningless. And so Ecclesiastes chapter 3 is written to that very reality. That the reason that Ecclesiastes chapter 3 is written is so that we might not panic in the midst of our difficult lives. So that we might not panic in the midst of, of the ups and downs of life. So that we might not panic when, when we are bankrupt or, or when we do lose our job or so when, when we do get sick. That we might understand that there is a big picture, that there is an ending that puts all of this in perspective and frames all of this up so that we can know that what feels meaningless is not meaningless. That what seems like vanity is not vanity. And that's what I want us to look at this morning from Ecclesiastes is how we can face life without panicking. First thing I want you to see is that life is a wild ride. Life is a wild ride. There, that we should go into this ride expecting ups and downs. That we should understand that, that life is not going to be static. And, and that's one of the things that if we only read Proverbs and we take Proverbs and we strip it of its context, that one of the dangers is, is that Proverbs seems to present life that is very flat, that is very singular in dimension. That is that if I do the right things, all the right things are going to happen. That everything is going to be a, a dependable experience and it's going to largely be dependent upon my performance therein. So when things get hard, if all we have is the Proverbs understanding of, of wisdom, when things get difficult, when we begin to suffer, when life does not go our way, suddenly we, th we ask two questions. One, what did I do to deserve this? Or two, God, why did you let me down? What did I do to deserve this? Or God, why did you let me down? And so Solomon gives us the book of Ecclesiastes so that we can see that life is multidimensional. Yes, life typically happens in the way that Proverbs presents it. And life typically operates on the systems that, that Proverbs gives. But life, life in this world, life as Ecclesiastes 2.15 says, is made with a, with a crook in it. It's, it's crooked from the start because of sin's effects upon the earth. So our experiences sometimes are going to be breathtaking. Our experiences sometimes are going to cause our stomachs to drop. Our experiences sometimes are going to cause our heart rate to elevate because we're not going to know what's going. We're going to be taken off guard. That Ecclesiastes helps us to see that life in this world oscillates, right? Life in this world oscillates. That sometimes it's a time to be born. Other times it's a time to die. Sometimes you should plant. Other times you should reap. Sometimes there are times of killing and other times there are times of healing. There are times of breaking down and there are times of building up. And so you can see like, like a roller coaster, it's, it's up and it's down and it's oscillating and undulating. That it's turning right and it's turning left. 
And that's been your experience, I'm sure. There are moments in which you go and you, you welcome in your new son into the world and you celebrate that boy, but then it can be the very next day that you have to go and bury your father. That you can celebrate the big promotion that you got and the next morning your wife can discover a lump. That life is filled with ups and downs and life is filled with these oscillations that, that if we aren't careful, if we aren't expecting them, can take us by surprise. But that's what he's pointing to here. He says everything, there is a season, a time for every matter under heaven. I want to point out these two phrases. So a time is more than just a random time. He's pointing to, more specifically, an appointed time. As a matter of fact, some of your translations will use the word an appointed time. It means it's a divine time, a providential time, a planned time, a purposeful time. That it feels meaningless and it feels unexpected and it feels sudden. But these things aren't nearly as sudden as they seem. They aren't nearly as unexpected as they appear. They aren't nearly as sudden as what it seems like to us. That in fact, from the perspective of providence, in the big picture, they are, there is an appointed time. They are well planned and executed. Further, he says they're under heaven. And there's, there's a double meaning to this, under, this phrase of under heaven. In, in one sense, he's, he's giving a, remember, from the perspective of earth, from the perspective of man, that sometimes what looks to be true is not what is actually true from the perspective of heaven. But from our experience, based upon what we feel, the feelings are valid because the experience is true, right? That you, you face hardship, you face, uh, you face difficulties in your life, and you feel as though your whole world is crumbling around you. And that feeling is valid, even if from the big picture, from the perspective of providence, it isn't true. And so in one sense, he's, he's, he's uh, explaining how this is all from an earthly perspective. But in another sense, what he's saying is that all of this is under heaven. It is under the sovereign rule of God. It is under the sovereign plan of God. It is under heaven's providence that all of these things are taking place at an appointed time by the, by the uh, decree and the will of the Lord so that you may be taken by surprise, but he's not taken by surprise. That life feels like it's up and down and it feels like all the turns and the bobs and the weaves are, are meaningless and purposeless. It feels like, as Ecclesiastes says, that all of it is just vanity of vanities. Pointless suffering for, for hopeless people. But the point is, is that it's all under control. It's all under control. That is meaningless as your life seems sometimes, as, as hopeless as the future feels in certain moments, as, as unsuspecting as the drop when the floor comes out from under you, as unsuspecting as you are when your health goes bad or your kids turn away or, or your husband or your dad runs off. All of this is under control. All of this is under heaven. All of this is taking place at an appointed time in a way that those who have confidence in God, those who are able to say, God, I know what I feel and the feelings are valid. I know what my experience are and the experience is hard. I know what my suffering has been and I don't want to suffer anymore. But Lord, my confidence and my hope and my trust is that you have all of this under control. But Ecclesiastes is bringing us hope in that way. That we should expect ups and downs. And through that expectation, we are able to actually live a life that can be enjoyed. 
not just expect ups and downs, but don't close your eyes. Don't close your eyes. That when you're going through the, the experiences that this roller coaster life have, there, there's usually one of two responses that we tend to lean toward. Okay, the first one is the Gracie Kate experience, right? Lock down, close your eyes, and just pray that it's going to be over and you're not going to be dead, right? And, and, and that's very common in our world. That, that is, I think it's even more common among my generation that typically one of the main ways that we tend to cope with really hard realities in life, really bad marriages or a really disappointing career or your education not going the way that you want or your, your health, that one of the ways that we tend to re- respond is through escapism. Just let me escape it. Let me, let me go off into a virtual world for a while. Let, let me go and play video games for the rest of the day. Let me escape into to Netflix and Hulu for a while. Let me, let me self-medicate and drink enough alcohol or take enough prescription meds so that I can not think about it for a while. Let me escape into the world of pornography so that I can exist in, a, in the world that I wish was more like my reality, more exciting than my reality. It is to, to be on the roller coaster and the ups and downs of life and to just close your eyes and to pretend that what's happening is not actually happening to you. But there's another way that we typically respond. And I think this leads to so much of the anxiety that we have today. Is that if our reaction is not to close our eyes and to pretend like it's not happening, the, the other is to seize control of the train altogether and to try to oversteer our lives and micromanage the direction of the train and to control the outcomes by sheer willpower and planning and perseverance. That if I can just take the steering wheel of my life and I can just take the steering wheel of the train for my kids and my marriage and my job and, and, I, and my health and, and I can take control of all of these avenues of my life and turn it the way that I want, then I can make sure that the low points don't come in my life. But what Solomon is saying is that you need to adjust your expectations, that you will bring death to your soul if you pretend like reality isn't happening or that you can alter reality by oversteering the train. The truth is, the truth is, is bad times are inevitable. That's his point. Hard times are inevitable. Your kids are going to suffer, brothers and sisters. You are going to suffer. Your aging parents are going to suffer. Within our church body, we are going to suffer. And it doesn't mean that we've done something wrong, and it doesn't mean that God isn't good and faithful. It means that we live in a world that is complex and under the curse of sin and is filled with oscillations. But if we try to close our eyes and pretend like the times of sorrow and the times of weeping and the times of war aren't going to come to our house, then what we're going to do is render ourselves totally in despair because we are unable to prevent that which is inevitable. That wisdom in Ecclesiastes is understanding that reality is reality. It's it's understanding and adjusting your expectations in life so that you don't have this idealistic view that life is going to be better than it is, that life is filled with mountaintop experience after mountaintop experience, that you don't have this understanding that all of us have to raise our standard of living over the course of our life or live and all of our dreams come true. It's to understand that 
hard times are going to find their way to your house one way or the other, regardless of how much money you have, regardless of how well you eat, regardless of how much you exercise, regardless of how much you shelter your kids and educate your kids, regardless of how many opportunities you give to them. Suffering is going to come to your house. is an inevitable reality. But by accepting this inevitable reality, now, now you are set free to see life in the big picture and to say, this isn't the only reality, though. This isn't the only reality. Yeah, there are good times too. There is joy with my kids too. There are holidays that are good too. There are good parts of my job too. There are good parts of my life too. And so it's being able to not over-focus on the lows that you can't experience the highs. So it's expect ups and downs. Don't close your eyes and lean into the turns. Lean into the turns. Here's what I mean by that. If, if you think about the way that this poem is really laid out, you can really roughly categorize it three different ways. That you can categorize it as experiences, as emotions, and as responses, right? That there's a time to born, a time to die, a time to plan, a time to... Those are experiences. You can look at verse 4, a time to weep, a time to laugh, a time to mourn, a time to dance. Those are largely emotions, though we might say those are also responses. Uh, a time to tear, a time to sow, a time to keep silence, a time to speak. Those are certainly responses, right? That all of us have in this life experiences. We have emotions, feelings about those experiences. And I think some theologians are, are overplaying that we need to invalidate all of those feelings. I don't think that's helpful. I don't think that's what Ecclesiastes does. We feel what we feel. We, re- we, we uh, react in the moment and, and it comes into our heart. But then comes into view here in Ecclesiastes chapter 3. How are you going to respond to those experiences and emotions? How are you going to respond to them? You see, the Stoics, and Paul addresses the Stoics in some of his epistles, they held that you were always supposed to have this, this, uh, this iron jaw, right? This, this stiff upper lip, that, that whenever life happened, that, that you should pretend as though your emotion is one emotion, that you're always level, you're always even, you're always going to respond as though you weren't taken by surprise, you're always going to respond as though everything is just fine. And Paul says, this is nonsense, this is anti-gospel, that God has formed us as entire and total people. And so there's a sense here in which Ecclesiastes chapter 3 is upholding the sovereignty of God. Everything is coming at an appointed time. Everything is happening under heaven. Everything is by the decree of God. And so the, no, nothing is out of control. And we should adjust our expectations to the reality of, of what's taking place in providence. But there's another sense. And what, he, what he's doing here, beautifully so, poetically, is he's coming in and he's saying, but you are responsible to respond in the right way. That, that, in other words, when it's a time to weep, you ought to weep. When, when it's a time to, to laugh, you ought to laugh. When it's a time to go to war, you ought to go to war. When it's a time for peace, you ought to rest at peace. When it's a time to plant, you ought to plant. When it's a time to reap, you ought to reap. That yes, these things are in the big picture, the providence of God. But in those moments, you have the responsibility to respond as you ought to respond. You know, if you're riding a roller coaster and you're coming up on one of those hairpin turns, if you try to force your body to go the opposite way of that turn, it's going to break your neck, or at least hurt it real bad. Some of you probably have that story to tell, right? And it's the same way in this life. If you're coming into a moment, and you lose something that's precious to you, you lose a relationship that's precious to you, you lose a dream that's precious to you, 
You lose an ambition that's precious to you. If you continue to just go on and pretend like it didn't happen and laugh and and be jovial all of the time, it's going to do violence to your soul. It's going to break the neck of your soul. If you come into a time and, and, and everything is, is going well, but you're, you're reminding yourself of all of the bad things that you ought to worry about instead, and you, you can't enjoy the birth of your child, and you can't enjoy the, the graduation from college like I explained my experience last week, or, or you can't seize the opportunity when the promotion comes, that does violence to your soul. That there is, yes, a big picture, that there are going to be these oscillations in life, but in those oscillations, the wise person reacts in the way that is helpful and right and proper according to the circumstance. That the wise person is okay with crying when it's time to cry. The, the, the wise person is okay with going and fighting when it's time to fight. But the wise person isn't looking to pick a fight in a time of, of peace. And the wise person isn't looking to go to war when there's no war to be battled. The wise person isn't looking for a reason to be depressed when life is exciting and life is, 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 is pleasing. The wise person is able to live in the providence of God, in the reality of God, under the control of God, by embracing the circumstance as it is, as it has come, by leaning into the turns. By leaning and going the way that the Lord is taking them to go. So I just want to stop for just a second. I want to ask you, how are you responding right now to whatever's happening in your life? Are you trying to pretend like it's better than it is? It's doing violence to your soul, brothers and sisters. Are you, are, are you trying to make as though your life is worse than it is? That's doing violence to your soul, brothers and sisters. Are you refusing to take the responsibilities and to respond appropriately to the experiences and the emotions that you have? One of the reasons that I am convinced that we are so emotionally unhealthy in the 21st century is that we refuse to respond to the emotions as they come. And over time, we try to shield our children from so many bad experiences that they never learn the coping skills with the hard things that come. No, 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 no. Life is complex and life is up and down and life is in and out and life bobs and weaves and turns right and left. Life comes at you and it's a wild ride and we need to lean into the turns and train our children to lean into the turns when they come so that they won't fall into despair unnecessarily. Life is a wild ride and you need to trust your safety harness. You need to trust your safety harness. So I remember the first big roller coaster I ever read. It wasn't really a roller coaster, but the big, in, it, the way I used to call it was the upside down rides. You know what I'm talking about? Like that was a ride of passage into manhood. You know what I'm saying? Like it, it, to, to go on those rides for the first time and go upside down, now, now I'm a man. You know what I mean? And so I'd had my eye on one for a long time. And you, some of you may have heard me talk about this before, but it was a looping starship at, uh, at Six Flags over Georgia. Okay, and I had my eyes on it for a long time, and every, my parents were so good, every year they would take us to Six Flags, but the problem was, is I was always about a foot short and about 50 pounds underweight, okay? Which is really tough when the ride of passage is the upside down ride, and you're never tall enough or big enough to be able to ride it, okay? It's really tough to feel like a man in those situations, especially if you go with a group of people, and you're like, well, you guys go have fun, I'll go play in, you know, with the carrots over here in Little Totland. Y'all know what I'm talking about. Y'all know what I'm talking about. I, I can see, I guess, y'all, y'all are connecting with me here. And so, so finally the year came, and I was big enough, like barely, and they may have been giving me an inch or two even that year. But my dad, we get in the line, and we're going to ride the Lupin Starship, and I'm 
just like Gracie, start talking a lot, getting really nervous. And they go and they, they lock me in the harness. And, and I want you to remember now, the Lupin Starship wasn't an upside down round that fl- You went upside down and you hung there, baby. You know what I mean? Like you hung there and all the change fell out of everybody's pockets. And you just, you just stood there for a second. Well, that thing goes, and I'm, I'm enjoying it, and it goes up high, and I'm, I'm getting a little, more, a little more nervous, a little more anxious. And then I remember that first time, it goes all the way up, and my little body started shifting in that harness just a little, and I went hysterical. I mean hysterical. I started screaming for him to shut the ride down, to stop it. I started calling for my mom and asking my dad why he hated me. I mean, I just, I went, I, I, yeah. You think I'm exaggerating, and maybe I'm prone to exaggerate from time. I'm not exaggerating. I'm talking straight-up hysterics, okay? And so my dad, I'm probably embarrassed, but I, I remember him laughing, okay? And this is Father's Day, and I don't know what kind of father that makes him to be. <laughs> but I was hysterical. I was upside down, and my dad, is, he, he brings himself together from laughing. And I remember what he said. He said, look, if people were dying, we wouldn't be on the ride. Like, they wouldn't let us on the ride if people were getting killed in this. And I'm like, that's not helping, you know. And he's like, trust your harness. You're, you're a harness. You're, you're locked in, right? And so my dad is giving me these assurances in the midst of these terrifying moments in my, on this ride that I wanted, by the way. I don't think I passed the rite of passage. (laughs) It took me a few years before I'd get back on it. But Solomon does the same thing in Ecclesiastes chapter 3. He gives us assurances on this ride that we're on. He gives us some assurances that allows us to be able to put our confidence and, and know that in the end, it's going to be okay. In the end, we're going to come out exactly where the Lord would have us to do. And so he tells us that every memory is going to be fond. I want, to just, I want to explain to you what I'm saying. He says in verse 9, what gain has the worker from his toil? He says, I have seen the business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. It almost sounds like he's talking about that busy work that the substitute used to give you, right? But listen to what he says in verse 11. He has made everything beautiful in its time. Do you hear what he's saying? Yes, life is going up and down, and life is oscillating, and life is good, and then it's bad. But there are times, and all of us know it, when life seems more bad than good. And here's his promise. Here's his assurance that God is taking all of these ups and downs and these oscillations in our lives, and he's using it to make something beautiful with it. That the ups and downs in our lives are very similar to that of a a sewing machine that takes the needle and punctures down through through the fabric and brings the thread back up and down and up. And in the moment, in the single thread, all you think about is the hole. All you think about is the puncture wound. But as it goes long enough, bobbing and weaving up and down, in and out, left and right, experiencing these oscillations of life, what you're able to see in the end, what you're able to understand is when you zoom out and see the finished product is as painful as the puncture wound was, as difficult as those low moments was, it was weaving together a beautiful tapestry with your life that you wouldn't have any other way. That you wouldn't have any other way. That it it takes the the sense of loss that you have when your dream is crushed. It it takes the the low moment of, of when your marriage needs 
counseling and you're not sure if you're going to make it to the other side. And it, and it compares that to the high moments when you make it to the other side and, and it's better than what it was before. And, or, or when you, you're able to see your, your kid finally go through that season of rebellion and become the man or the woman that you knew God would have for them to be. And it takes these ups and it takes these downs and it, we, it steps out and says, look, look, the whole time this was under control, the whole time God was taking all things and working them together for the good of those who love him. But it's important that you don't miss the whole picture of what he's saying. He has made everything beautiful when? In its time. Immediately? No. When it's a time of weeping? No. When it's a time of death? No. That is not when it feels beautiful. But in time. And y'all, it may not even be in this life. You understand? It may be one day when we are reunited at the throne of Jesus with a resurrected body that we're able to look back and say, that was the worst moment of my life and I would never want to go through it again. But God was all in it. And God was weaving together something wonderful and beautiful in my life through it. That in its time, in its time, God is going to take that which you feel like is going to ruin you and break you apart as a person. And he's going to use it to make something that you would have no other way. You know, I think about a lot of the people that that I've ministered to and that, that I've counseled with, and almost every single one of them come back and they say, you know, I thought that was the worst moment of my life, and now it's the first line of my testimony. I thought it was that which was going to kill me, and it's that which God has used to show me how great, how supreme, how sovereign, how wonderful he really was. It took me a long time to say that the memory of the Lupin starship was a fond memory. But now I can stand up here in front of all of you, and I can laugh, and I can enjoy that story. And it is a wonderful memory of my dad and me, and thinking back and, and realizing, going through those same kinds of experiences now with my kids. And the assurance that all of us have is, yeah, it may take a long time. It may not be next year. It may not even be five years from now. It may not be ten years from now. It may be an eternity future. But there is coming a time in which you will look over the course of your life, the low valleys of your life, the puncture wounds, the fabric of your soul, and you will reflect back and say, that memory is fine because God has made it beautiful. Every memory will be fine. Because your engineer is trustworthy. Because your engineer is trustworthy. You know, there was another way my dad assured me while we were hanging upside down and I was about to plummet to my death. I I remember this very vividly. My dad said, son, you know, you get to that point with your kids, it's funny, then you assure them, and then you're just exasperated. He gets to this point where he's exasperated and he says, son, I will, you know, he's yelling over all the people, I will never let you do anything that I think will hurt you. Oh, well, I mean, that's proven pretty true over the course of my life, I guess, you know. In other words, my dad trusted the engineer, and I trusted my dad. And there's a very real sense in which that's what Ecclesiastes is pointing us toward in the Christian life. That, that, that yeah... Christ tells us that the Father takes care of the birds of the air and he makes sure that they have plenty to eat and all that they need. And he, he has de- decorated all of the lilies of the valley so that they, they are more beautiful than Solomon and all of his splendor and all of his majesty. So Christ, he trusts the Father and I, I trust Christ. I trust what Christ has said. 
That's really getting to what he's saying in that famous part there at the end of verse 11. He says, also, he has put eternity into man's heart, yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. That is, there's a sense in which because of the way God has made us, because God has made us in his image, because God has made us to be immortal, because God has made us to exist forever in relationship with him, that all of us always intuitively know there is more to life than this. There is more to life than this. There is more to life than just the diapers I have to change. And there is more to life than just this low point of suffering in my marriage. And there is more to life than disappointment with my career ambitions. And there is more to life than, with the, than the failures that I have accumulated over my life. And there is more to life than the things that I've bought and the high experiences that I've had. There is a bigger picture that is in play that God has made me to live with him forever. And even though I can't see it, I know God is at work. In fact, the word eternity there can be translated. And it is, I think it's in the net translation, is he translated as ignorant. Ignorant. In other words, eternity's coming, but I don't know what's coming with it. I just know, I just know that there's one who's in control. I just know that from the beginning to the end, God is supreme. That from the beginning to the end, the architect of providence is bringing and weaving these things together in a way that is trustworthy and wonderful. As I was writing this, I was thinking about what what Solomon must have thought on the morning of Jesus' resurrection as he meditated on this passage. Here he is and he's saying, he's admitting, I know that we're meant to live forever. I know that God has a plan that is from beginning to end. I just, I'm ignorant of what that plan is. I'm ignorant of what that future looks like. And so I just wonder, that moment after Jesus has been crucified, has been raised to life, if Solomon says, Like, I knew it was going to be good. I didn't know it was going to be this good. I knew God had a plan. I could have never predicted this plan. I knew that God was bringing and making everything beautiful, even even that old rugged cross. But I had no idea it would be quite this beautiful. Brothers and sisters, that's going to be the case for your life, too. If you're in Christ, I want to emphasize that. This only counts if you are among the people of God. These assurances are only bankworthy if you are a child of God. But if you are, if you are, you can trust the engineer of your life. You can trust the architect of providence because he will bring all of these things together and make them beautiful in their time. Finally, I want you to see that you need to raise your hands and laugh. So life's a wild ride, and God gives us these assurances. He, he tells us, you can trust, trust the safety harness that I'm giving to you. And because life's a wild, even though life's a wild ride, because you have these assurances, man, raise up your hands and laugh. My favorite roller coaster in the world is Expedition Everest at Disney's Animal Kingdom, all right? Anybody in, there, in here rode Expedition Everest? All right, there's a few of y'all. You know what I'm talking about right now. All right, so we went, when we went there, Gracie was too little to ride it, and so I was able to ride it by myself. Okay, I had never ridden it alone. It's, I know, but I enjoyed it, okay? So, I'm an introvert. Sometimes I don't want to talk. Sometimes I want to savor. You know what I'm saying? And so we're in line to ride Expedition or I, we're, I'm in line to what, ride Expedition Everest. And I get in there, and I, get, and I, I don't know what to expect. And so we're going, and man, it, it, it starts off good, but then it goes up into this, this mountain, and you can't really see what's coming. And then you get up to the end, and the, the track runs out, and you're like, and it disorients you for a second, and then it just stops. 
And then it starts flying backwards just as fast as you can. It's doing all the loops in reverse. And y'all, as a grown man, I've already went through the rite of passage. I'm there. I know what to expect. I raise up my hand, and I just start laughing. Like, it's awesome. It's awesome. That's what experience, that's what understanding and trusting in the assurances of who God is and having your confidence that the ups and downs of life are under God's control. That's what it allows us to do. And we don't need to miss this message from Solomon. That what it allows you to do is to be able to enjoy the ride of life. To be able to enjoy the ride of life. That it's not meant to be miserable all the time. Look at what he says in verse 12. I perceive that there is nothing better for them than to be what? Joyful and to do good as long as they live. Also that every man should eat and drink and what? And take pleasure in all his toil. This is what? God's gift. Do you see how good God is? Do you see how good God is? Yeah, life is up and down. And we can fall into this trap in which we stop living and just start surviving. We can get into this trap in which we're, we're coming out of a hardship and bracing for a hardship. And we're never taking time to just breathe and laugh and be with friends and enjoy one another's company. And, and just cut up and, la- and, and loosen up a little bit. But here is Solomon in the midst of Ecclesiastes acknowledging the oscillating realities of life. Giving you the assurances of God's providence and saying, look, you ought to loosen up a little bit. You ought to loosen up a little bit. That you ought to be able to enjoy what God has given you to enjoy. You ought to be able to to rest when God has given you rest. That this is wisdom. Do you understand? Wisdom. This is not folly. That there can be a a line of thinking and has been throughout church history of, of this type of asceticism. Where everything needs to be serious all of the time. And I always need to be thinking about how I can endure suffering. And yes, yes, of course, of course suffering is a part of the Christian life. But my goodness, my goodness, so is joy. So is joy. I heard a theologian say one time that the Christian ought to be the kind of person that can go and stand on the beach and look out over the expanse and think about the suffering that's on the other side of the world. And at the very same time, in contemplating the suffering that's on the other side of the world, ought to be able to look and think, man, this is so good. This is so wonderful. Lay down in the sand and trust the Lord. I think there's a lot of truth in that. And I think that's exactly what Solomon's getting at here. That if you are living your life in which you're either closing your eyes or you're trying to seize control of the train so that you can't enjoy any of it, you're not living a wise life. The the Puritans, they said that it was our responsibility to seize the goods of life. To seize the goods of life. What they meant by that was, is that God has given us so many, so many gifts that are meant to be for our pleasure. That God has equipped us to love what is beautiful. And so we ought to love what is beautiful. God has equipped us so that our soul is reset by nature and the expansiveness of nature. And we ought to get outside and enjoy all that God has given us. God has given us marriages and family. And we ought to be able to enjoy the marriage and the family that we have. We ought to laugh with our kids. In fact, let me just take a sidebar right here and say that the, Christ, that the children that I know who grew up in Christian homes and remain Christian, you know what kind of home they grow up in? A happy Christian home. 
The kind of home where Christ is the center of joy for all people so that Christ enlivens the heart and enlivens the experiences so that when you go out and you're enjoying a vacation, you're enjoying a vacation to the glory of God. So that when you're enjoying and having groups of friends over, you're enjoying that party to the glory of God. So it's pleasure, but it's pleasure that is anchored in the context of the goodness of God. There's there's an application here. Some of y'all need to zoom in and listen up real close. You ought to loosen up a little bit. You ought to loosen up a little bit. That yeah, Christians, we, we ought to be solemn when it's time to be solemn, and we ought to be serious when, it, when it's time to be serious. But Christians should not be solemn and serious all the stinking time. We ought to be able to raise up our hands on the ride, loosen up, and laugh with our kids. We ought to be able to tell jokes with our wife. We ought to be able to have and enjoy our friends. We ought to enjoy being able to come like the church and gather for corporate worship. Why? Because these are good gifts from God. God has provided for you. God has, has given you more. More than you could have ever hoped for. More, certainly, than you ever deserve. And you ought to go in and enjoy it to its full, man. Enjoy it to its full. So enjoy the ride and see through the flips. This, this gets back to that poem from originally, right? That there's a time coming. Yeah, we ought to laugh when times are times time to laugh, but times of sorrow are coming. When life is going to flip you upside down like that roller coaster that goes and all of a sudden you're right side up and then you're upside down. But we, we unlike all the other people of earth, Paul says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 that we grieve as Christians. We stand at, at gravesides and we cry because the people that we love are going to be buried there and we're not going to be able to talk to them tomorrow. We cry and that's right we, we, our, our wife finds a lump and we are afraid and we, we cry. And that's not wrong. That's, that's right. But Paul says we grieve, but we don't grieve the way the world grieves. Why? Because we know this isn't the end. We can see to the other side of the flip. We can know that, yeah, right now we've been flipped on our heads and life is not easy and life is not fun and life is not what we want it to be. But we can be certain. We can be certain that we are going to be right side up again. We can be certain of it. This is exactly what Paul is talking about. I mean, uh, Solomon is talking about when he talks about in all of his toil. Toil is not easy stuff. Toil is the hard stuff. But he says this is God's gift to man. And he's saying it because he's, he's, he's reminding them that if you fear the Lord, and if you trust the Lord, that even in your toil, even in your lowest moments, you still have hope. Not only do you have hope, my friends, you have certainty. This is what I call the resurrection principle. When Jesus is being crucified... It looks like all hope is lost. This, by the way, this is why we do the Good Friday service the way that we do. You come, and all of a sudden we say, he's dead, all hope is lost, go home. It feels jarring, doesn't it? And it's because we want, just we're so familiar with the gospel story that sometimes we forget the despair of the moment of Jesus' death, but it's jarring to our bones. And so you see there on the cross, and what it looks like is it looks like the waste of a good man's life, doesn't it, when he dies? It looks like all the hope that he's going to be the Messiah, that all of that is erased and gone. And for three days, the disciples, they gather and they hide out and they run away. They deny Christ. They try to figure out where they go from now because they assume that they're the next ones going to be hanging on that cross. Until Sunday. 
until Sunday. On Sunday, that rock rolls away. That crucified body comes and rises out of those grave cloths. And we're confronted with the reality that God is more sovereign than we thought he was. And the cross wasn't as meaningless as it looked like it was. And for all of us who are in Christ, we have been promised that we will have a resurrection like Christ. That he will take this diseased, decaying body that will be made from dust to dust and he will raise it up. And all of that suffering that felt meaningless, all of those hardships that felt like vanity of vanities, all of those moments in which your life was flipped upside down on his lid will be made right side up again. And all that felt meaningless will not be meaningless. And all that felt hopeless will not be hopeless. And all that felt pointless will not be made pointless. Instead, it will be apparently, totally, eternally, Eternally beautiful. Beautiful. So this morning, I want to remind you, you know how the ride ends. You know where you're headed. Today, place your confidence in Christ. Let's pray to the Lord together. Thank you for watching or listening to one of our sermons. We would love to have the opportunity to connect with you one-on-one. We are not a perfect church, but we are a joyful church, and we want to help you increase your joy in Christ. We would love for you to come and worship with us one day soon. You'll be able to find information about our worship services, about who we are, what we believe, what we do, and what we're hoping to accomplish on our website at ironcity.org. And we would invite you to go and to check out all the information there. We look forward to seeing you soon.